Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gospel Forum podcast. We are a collective of Reformation-minded Christians that care about the local church and doctrine. We're so glad you've joined us once again. Uh, Just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to us, make sure you do so on your favorite podcast app. Uh, Just look up the Gospel Forum. You could also look at us on our YouTube page, literally, because the videos go up there and you can watch these episodes. And also, of course, uh, most importantly, um, you could visit our website at thegospelforum.com where you will find all of our episodes plus the latest theological content uh, via articles. So uh, thank you for joining us. My name is Dan Sardinas, and to my left is... Um, I am Pilgrim Benham. Pilgrim, and what church are you from? Just remind people where you're from. I'm uh, a pastor at Shoreline Church in Bradenton. All right, and to my right... Josh Sherrill. I'm one of the pastors and elders at Providence Church in Lehigh Acres. Lehigh Acres. All right. And um, we're a little late getting started today. I mean, not that you would know that because you're watching this whenever you watch it, but uh, one of us was kind of late getting here. And which, who, who is that? It, it wasn't me. I was wasn't quite me. on time. <laughs> I, mean, this, I mean, this is my place here. So Yeah, it, it seems like I've had some trouble making it out to, to yeah, do these recordings yeah. and something always comes up, whether it be responsibilities at home or in the ministry. Sure, Josh, sure. And, uh, uh-huh. and, and this morning, um, my I woke up and my AC was broken. So Is AC to, uh, important in Florida? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Is that why you trimmed your beard back? It was just kind of hot? You know, I didn't realize it, but now that I look <laughs> okay. back, it, yeah, it must have been. Uh-huh. So did it break in the middle of the night or you woke up to it and it just no, it actually uh, it actually happened last night. My wife was like, oh, it's feeling hot in the house and, uh, you know. I didn't think anything of that because that happens. Yeah. Um, went outside and, uh-oh, the outside unit's not working. So yeah. I, I got into it, thought I had it figured out, had a solution to keep it cool overnight, and then this morning had to go out and, and uh, replace some parts. Well, Josh was gracious to make it. Josh has the furthest drive, so we shouldn't complain at all. Oh, can uh, I ask real quick, since yeah. we're on this, what is the optimal, like where, where is your nightly temperature set at in your guys' homes? Oh. My, my wife keeps it... At a cool 65. 65? Wow. Yeah, 65. Yeah. Our, our house is frigid, basically. Oh, we have people stay with us and they... I'd hate to see your AC, but your electric bill. It's not that bad. Really? It's not that bad, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, uh, we try to keep it at one temperature all day long, all night long. Um, seems to be most efficient that way. 73. 73. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the cheap one of, of the group here. Uh, that or my house you don't is have AC, very right? well insulated. Uh, during the day, we keep it around 76, and at night we turn it down to 74, which okay. seems to work for us comfortably. Yeah. Well, you are older, so you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So anyway, well, guys, let's get to our main topic of the day. Uh, today we're going to begin a new podcast series, and it's going to take us uh, probably a few months to go through, and it's. On the Ordo Salutis. Now, I am speaking another language, in case you were wondering, never heard those words before. Ordo Salutis is a phrase, a Latin phrase, which means the order of salvation. So what do we mean by the order of salvation, uh, Pilgrim or Josh? Uh, someone explain, what does this mean? Well, one thing uh, they want to be careful about is when we talk about the order of salvation, we're not necessarily talking about how things happen in time. Right. Um, there is another term for that, mm-hmm. right? There is the, um, uh, I forget what it's called, actually. It's the historical order, right? right? Anyway, um, um, that what we're trying to do with the order salutis is think about the logical, the logical ordering 
of how this works out. How, how has God worked um, in eternity past, and how is that then applied? Mm-hmm. How is redemption applied mm-hmm. to the believer? Very good. And Pilgrim, why is this uh, so important to talk about? Why should believers care about this? Um, and what, what, what effect does this have on their life? Well, so yeah, I think this is incredibly important because everyone in their mind, theologically, as we grow in Christ, is going to have some sense of an order. Uh, again, not necessarily historical, but um, did I come to faith and then because of my faith, now I'm born again, now I'm regenerate. Uh, the Arminian would say uh, faith precedes regeneration. So I trust in Christ, and then when that happens now, I am essentially born again. Uh, and, and so I think it definitely plays into, or you get some people that conflate justification, or right standing forensically before God, with sanctification, which is that ongoing process that the Holy Spirit is doing to conform us into the image of Christ. And a lot of people get those confused, or they bleed into one another. And so I think it's incredibly important for us to say, Overall, and some of these might vary as we as we theologically unpack them, uh, but it's incredibly important for us to know, even with our, the assurance of our salvation, mm-hmm. hey, that this has already taken place, mm-hmm. that I am a part of God's plan of redemption, mm-hmm. and this is not necessarily something that I've done. So it definitely has implications with assurance, with yeah. uh, how we view our own salvation and how we view our sanctification. Right. And if you Google the order the the order of salvation online, the order of salutis, you're going to get varying lists and the ways they are structured. Um, some people do it more generically. Some people do it very specifically. We're going to uh, be following Tim Challey's uh, ordering in his Visual Theology book, which is a very beautiful book uh, with charts and graphs and putting uh, doctrine and theology into pictures. Uh, and charts so you could learn. So that's what we're going to be basing the next several episodes on. So today, and I'll just go ahead and read those, what those are. We're going to start today with the doctrine of election. Uh, Then we're going to go to effectual calling, regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and finally glorification. So it's going to take us a while to get through all of these, but that's okay. We're, they're so important. I think you're going to learn a lot about your own salvation and how God works in redemptive history. So let's begin with the doctrine of election. And this is not controversial at all, right? I mean, all Christians on the face of the earth for all time agree on this. Uh, or well, I, you know, I'll, I'll throw another wrench in there. You know, we talk about election, you know, linked with the idea of predestination. There's even more, uh, well, even less controversial one, double predestination. Right. I, I don't think we have time to get into No, all we that. probably don't. <laughs> but, yeah, so the doctrine of election. Yes, this is, uh, you're going to find various views, uh, views on this. Uh, of course, uh, the guys of the Gospel Forum are uh, from a Reformed persuasion, um, and so that's how we are approaching this, obviously. Um so this is uh, so. Let's start doctrine of election. What does the word elect mean, and why is this first in the order of salvation? Well, you know, clearly election is what we do every two years with our senators, and so that's what we're talking about, right, Dan? No ballots and all. <laughs> yes, no. There's no salvation in Washington. Wow. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Well, um, so when we talk about the doctrine of election, um, we we can be very precise or clear in how we're defining it. Um, and I think we'll, in a moment we'll dive into some scripture 
uh, that speak to different terms. But we're we're talking essentially about those uh, who freely come to God are actually those whom God has freely chosen. And so we we have to use with election the word choose or chosen. So the and word so, so right there from the beginning, the word elect means to choose. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the biblical definition. Of that, which if you if you look at the analogy that you used you just use about the presidential elections or yeah. voting, uh, you go to the ballot box and you choose who you want elected, right? And so that same kind of concept is there, uh, but but in this case, people aren't doing the electing, right? Who does the electing in this doctrine? Uh, it's by God's choosing. It's God. So let's just be clear from the beginning. God is the elector, right? God is the one who does the electing uh, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, continue. Yeah, and so uh, you know, there's there's words like foreknowledge, uh, and we see that in Romans eight, and that can make us go, okay, well, uh, on a, maybe a more Arminian persuasion, we'd say, well, God, He knew who would choose Him as He looked through time mm-hmm. ahead, and so He selected he chose those who he knew would choose him and that's their definition of foreknowledge however when we look at the biblical definition of foreknowledge we actually see that it's more like for love it's mm-hmm. to know in a loving relationship do you do you have the verse on that you, you want to read Romans 8 what what he's referencing Romans 8:20 sure there's a there's a few verses 30. that come to mind as yeah. as you bring that up and um, in Romans 8 28 through 30 um, there's a, a list of things here that, that some have called the golden chain of redemption. And they don't exactly mirror the ordo salutis, but they certainly follow the flow right. of the logical ordering of salvation. So in Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, here's that word, here are those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we see foreknowledge there mm-hmm. in Romans 8, 28 30, clearly. Um, and that distortion that you're speaking of fails to continue reading. Right? A lot of the problems we have um, when misreading Scripture is that we just simply fail to keep reading. Right. Keep on reading. That, that could be a biblical principle that we could follow in, in, in growing in our understanding of doctrine. Keep on reading. And what happens when we keep on reading? Mm-hmm. Well, we find in Romans 9 that God's choosing has nothing to do with our works. Right. It has nothing to do with what he, might, what he sees we might do or what we would do. Um, yeah. It has everything to do with his choosing. So the foreknowledge, like, like Pilgrim just brought up and you mentioned, some people would say that foreknowledge is based on those who would choose God and then God chose them. But really, the Bible says that the reason that they choose God is because God has chosen them, right? Yeah, and the, que- and the question again is, I think, the, the more important question here is, is God sovereign? That's right. Um, and if God is sovereign over all things, he doesn't um, you know, scan through a catalog of possible worlds mm-hmm. and select the one that best fits his liking. Mm-hmm. You know, he has created all things. He has ordained all things. All throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, those who looked... Uh, to God and, and trusted in His promises, they recognized that even their their darkest moments were ordained by God. Mm-hmm. Even their their deepest pain was ordained by God. They came from His hand. Yeah. Um, and so, as we think about this in election, uh, we in foreknowledge, we certainly can't we certainly can't say and be faithful to Scripture. 
that God looks forward and sees those who would choose him, right. and therefore he chooses right. them. Yeah, and some people bristle at that idea. Well, I can't believe in the doctrine of election. Um, and and yet, they still there's still a threefold problem that we have to come to grips with. Number one, God wants everyone to be saved. Number two, God could save everyone, but three, God does not. And so those are the same quandaries. How do we, how do we answer that? Well, we don't dismiss election. That actually gives us a stronger biblical proof for election that God chooses uh, from the creation of the world, not those who he knows, oh, you know, they're going to smile on me. They're going to they're gonna turn and, and receive me. No, he, he chooses who he chooses. Yeah, I think some people turn God into to like a, an adolescent in middle school who was just hoping that somebody would invite him to the dance. Hmm. You know, I think that is a, a false view of the doctrine of election. Like God is just waiting for us to choose him. But the Bible, like Josh has said, uh, shows us a God who is sovereign and is is not weak and is not at the whim of men and women. Um, and he's the one that if anything happens for the good and people have faith in God, it's because of God's actions. And this is what the doctrine of election teaches us. And and some people think, you know, well, that's unfair. You know, that's not fair. Um, but we see this throughout the Bible. For example, uh, God chose the nation of Israel as his covenant people in the Old Testament. They were, they were to be his kingdom of priests to represent uh, to the nations who God was, and they were to be holy people. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, um, God tells them, Deuteron- Deuteronomy 7, 6, I have chosen you, not because you are, right. uh, I'm That's paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing, not, cho- not because you are special or you, or you are better than anyone else or, or anything you have done. That's right? what I was looking for. Right, yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> Dude, but I chose you right, to be my people, right? Uh, it, so God's God's election, we can even say, and of course, those of us who are Reformed, and all of us here are, uh, we would call that uh, unconditional election mm. is really what we're talking about. Unconditional, that God uh, chooses not based on the merits or the abilities or the choice of other people because of something he sees in you. There is no conditions in that. God, God's choice is free in himself to do what he wants. Yeah, there's a great quote by Horatius Bonar. He says, God chooses us not because he foresees that we would choose him or that we would believe, but for the very opposite reason. He chooses us just because he foresees that we would neither choose him nor believe of ourselves at all. Election proceeds not upon foreseen faith in us, but upon foreseen unbelief. Hmm. I think that's, that's very, very powerful. Right. And that's what we see in Israel. It's not that he chose Israel because, wow, they were the rock stars of all the nations. In fact, which if you keep reading uh, in the whole rest of the Old Testament, they're not even close. Right. Yeah. And God knew that was going to happen. Right. right? Exactly. God knew that was going to happen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, They here's a people who constantly fail him. Um, He he has some very choice words for them. Uh, stiff-necked people and hmm. even compares them to an unfaithful wife in a marriage who constantly leaves him and, and forsakes him and that whole Gomer and Hosea thing and hmm. that whole picture. But in spite of all that, right, his choice was not based on what they would do, hmm. but on his free choice of them, nothing else. But that's just Israel. Israel in the Bible is the only people who are chosen. That's what some would say, and of course, uh, just before we move on, of course, we're talking about unconditional election, and this is what the scriptures teach. In Romans 9, I think we're going to get there in a minute, but 
The other, the opposite, of course, would be conditional, meaning a condition that you there has to be a condition met. Mm-hmm. And one of those things, conditions we just talked about was, well, God sees that you would choose him, so then he chooses you. Or God says, oh, wow, he's going to be a good speaker. Let's make, let's save him so he could be a pastor and he could really, <laughs> you know, really benefit us uh, in, in the future here with what we want to do. And so he chooses based upon that. Like, you know, remember when we're in elementary school and we're picking teams and, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And you'd never want to be the last one chosen, but... Um, but it's up to you know. Using a lot of elementary uh, illustrations here, Dan. I know, right? I, yeah, I, mean, I was wondering about that. I, I have some scars from my childhood. <laughs> Let's I talk guess, later. You know. um, but you know, if you're picking teams in elementary school, you're going to want the fastest kid, the strongest kid, the kid who's going to help your team win. And I think that's almost how some people view this. So but God that's doesn't not look at, at some merit within us right. and say. Well, because they're going to be this yeah. amazing Christian, right. I'm going right. to I'm going to choose. So let's this. go to Romans nine, and um, e- either one of you could could look this up. Now, someone's out there is going to say, "Now, why do you believe it's unconditional? And what is the one scripture you can point us to that that would, def- you know, definitively settle this in my heart?" What would you say? And we said Romans nine. What verses in Romans nine? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean. <laughs> Really, all all of chapter nine um, pertains to this issue. You know, some Bibles have headings, and, and in the ESB, there's a heading over chapter nine that says God's sovereign choice. And so, you know, Paul is is in the beginning of chapter nine. He's expressing his deep sorrow for uh, God's people, Israel, having rejected the Messiah, um, and, and he he mentions that that they were chosen and they had all of these things and, and how in verse five to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all. Um, but he, as he's reflecting on that, the question that he, he comes up against is, well, then God's purpose of election has failed. Mm-hmm. If God chose Israel to be his people and to usher in the new kingdom uh, and God's people have failed, then God's purpose has failed. Right. It, it goes back to that question we asked a moment ago about how God chooses us. Well, if God chooses based on outcomes, then uh, Israel was the wrong choice. Right. (laughs) But but that wasn't the purpose. Exactly. That wasn't the purpose. He chose a people whom he knew would forsake him Mm -hmm. because the old covenant given through Moses was not the end goal. Mm -hmm. It wasn't plan A to which the new covenant is plan B. Mm -hmm. Um, New covenant was always in view and always a part of God's plan. And so he goes on and pointing out that, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Back to that question again, are Israel the only elect? And not all the children of Abraham, because they are, are his offspring. Um, and then he goes on to talk about uh, the calling of, of, of um, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and, and Esau, their sons. He says, though they were not yet born and had, not done, had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. Hmm. Yeah, yeah Romans 9. Uh, I, the camera can't see this. Maybe I'll put this and post at it. But you see that hammer up there? Hmm. It says Romans chapter 9 right on there. Because this chapter was the chapter that broke my theology. <laughs> my old theology. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's the one that humbled me greatly. Because yeah. I struggled with this doctrine. I struggled with the doctrines of grace for for many years until I read this and just said, okay, I'm tired of fighting against this. I'm tired of making excuses for it. What does it mean? What does it say? If this is God's word, then I have to accept it, even if I don't like it. And 
And that, this is the chapter, a deacon uh, in our church made that for me after I described Romans 9 as the, as the hammer uh, that broke my theology. But um, yeah, so what we see in there is Paul's anticipating the objections. Is this unfair? Is, this un, un, is, this, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. And then he even quotes um, from, I think it's Exodus, where God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion who I have compassion. It's God's choice. It's God's choice. God will have mercy on whomever he wants. Yeah. And the one thing we have to understand, and this is the one thing I struggled with early on in my Christian life, I was believing that God was obligated, that God was obligated to show mercy, that God had to because, well, if God is love and God is good, and then, yeah, he's going to show, he's going to choose everyone, right? Because that, that's what I would define as good. That's what I would define as, mm-hmm. as, as the right thing to do. But grace, and this is what we're talking about, this grace which is another word for everything we're talking about, is no longer grace if it's under obligation. And so God, and someone has said, I forget who said it, but grace means that God has free will. That's really what we're talking about in this humbling doctrine of election. Um, And here's Jacob and Esau. Out of the two, Jacob was the worst one, right? He was the the con artist, the heel catcher. He was the, the liar. Uh, not that Esau was any better, but you compare the two and what we're told, you would think, you know, J- Esau's the firstborn, right? Here's Jacob, the secondborn. He doesn't deserve the blessing. He doesn't deserve the, the birthright. He doesn't deserve God's blessings or to be the promised one. But yet it is him who God chooses. And I think that's on purpose to show us exactly how this works. Because if God were going to choose one of those guys based on what they have done, it would be Esau. As an aside here, one, this is one of the things that, uh, that adds compelling weight uh, to, the, to the teachings of Scripture. You know, the, the, the so-called heroes of the faith are, are uh, marked by lives of, of unfaithfulness and wickedness. Um, the writers of Scripture could have concealed those things and made them out to be um, Marvel-like superheroes, but that's not what they are. Jacob was chosen by God, and yet most of his, his life that we see in, in Genesis shows him running from God right. and, and making his own way, right. uh, defying God. And yet this was all a part of his plan. This mm-hmm. is all part of God's sovereign choice. Right. Mm-hmm. Some people will push back on uh, how we just interpreted verse uh, 12, and they would say, well, this is a direct quote of Malachi 1, 2, and 3. And this is a position I had for a while, um, was that this is referring to Jacob, the nation, right. Israel, and then Esau, the Edomites. The problem with that view, and that they're not completely wrong, you can that's where Malachi is going. The problem with that is that here in Romans 9, uh, Paul is actually particularly speaking about Rebekah and Isaac and the actual brothers, Jacob and Esau. And so I think... Like you just said, Josh, we have to keep reading. So if we read down to verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion. Again, calling back to they had done nothing, verse 11. No human will, no exertion. This was before they even left the womb. Not a lot of will or exertion. And yet it says, but it depends on God who has mercy. And I think that's the key. And then after that, 
but God allows mercy. And then verse 17 says, for the scripture says. Mm -hmm. So here's another way he's going to prove that point or make that argument. For the scripture says to Pharaoh. Now, wait a minute, Pharaoh doesn't come from Jacob or Esau, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's another individual mentioned, right? To Pharaoh, for this purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on, and here it is, whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So the nation's argument, I think, is destroyed by the fact that yeah. there's individuals mentioned there, yeah. and Paul's making a bigger uh, you know, after the first eight chapters of, of total depravity and, hmm. um, and, the, and the wickedness of man, the depravity of man, not just speaking of Jewish people, but, but also of Gentiles, now he's making this argument of how that all works in God's economy of salvation. Hmm. So, yeah, um, these are very sobering and humbling words, uh, but words that we must submit to. For it is scripture, it is truth, and it is God's word. And when I did so, when I said, okay, I, I don't get it, but Lord, I, I'm going to believe it. The more I studied, the more I saw it everywhere, the more it, it just made me sing in my heart to say, wow, this God is glorious. This God is glorious who, who, who you know, it, it wasn't dependent upon me in whatever shape or form. It's all him who does the saving and, and the choosing and the electing. And the, the miracle here is this. And some people would say, well, if God chooses, then why doesn't he just choose everybody? It's not, the question, that's, not, that's the wrong question. The question is, why doesn't God, the wrong question is, why does, I'm not saying that right. The wrong question is, why doesn't he save everyone? The real question is, why does he save anyone? That's right. Why does he save anyone? Mm -hmm. And that's where we see grace come into play. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the even in Romans 9, he, you will say to me, why does he still find fault? Who can resist as well? That's a natural response is to say, is that fair? And we need to just, you know, we need to time out and say, do, do you want fair? Right. If, you right. Want, if right. fairness is what you want, we then don't we're want all going to be condemned. We right. will all face the judgment. We so don't want fairness. We want a just God, and God is. Yeah. we cannot charge with uh, God with injustice ever. Uh, but someone from our perspective could say, is that fair? And, uh, and again, we have to say, it's not fairness that you want. It's, it's justice, but ultimately it's mercy. Yeah. We want justice for others, mercy for ourselves. Yeah, and R.C. Sproul says that really well. He says that everyone... That, that no one receives injustice. There is not a person who will be in heaven or hell that will receive injustice. Everyone either receives justice, so they reject Christ and they face God's wrath for eternity, or they receive mercy. So there is no injustice with God. So there's no one in heaven... Uh, or there's, no, there's not going to be one person in the lake of fire forever that's going to say, but, 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 and has an excuse, right? Like something, this is, wasn't right, right? Uh, the missionary got a flat tire on the way to my village, or, or this happened, or no one told me, or no one invited me, right? You either receive justice or mercy. And for those who receive mercy, that justice was still accomplished, wasn't it? By Christ on the cross. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, using that that um, 
illustration of the missionary flat tire. So if, if there is not the doctrine of election, then it really does come down to our polished presentations that we've got to make sure we've got this gospel presentation perfectly down. And then, you know, some would say, well, why do you pray if you believe in the doctrine of election? And my argument would be, um, why do you pray? Mm-hmm. If it all comes down to your ability to share the gospel and that God has not chosen, uh, then why are you praying at all? Mm. There's a lot of other passages, right, in the New Testament that speak of us being chosen. Yeah, what are some of those? Well, I was thinking a moment ago when you were um, just expressing the, the marvel and wonder of it all, that God would even choose any of us. It seems that, that in Ephesians 1, we, can, we, we see this prayer, uh, this doxology at the beginning uh, of Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, Mm. with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Amen. Amen. So, who is Paul writing there to, to the Ephesians? Who, who makes up the Ephesian church? Is it just Jewish people? No, it's Jews and Gentiles mm-hmm. in that church. Um, he, even as he chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. So hence we get the order of salutis. Why are we starting his, the, with, with this doctrine? Because it, it happens before, eternity, before time even begins. Mm-hmm. Before the foundation, before God created the world, before he spoke, before uh, time was even a thing, a second ticked off any clock, God has already chosen his people. Yeah. In Acts 13 on uh, Paul's first missionary journey, uh, Paul is uh, sharing the gospel with Barnabas. And then uh, in verse 48 of Acts 13, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, and that's pretty clear, that's not the Jews, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And then it says this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I think that's another uh, phrase or statement. It's another way of saying as many as were chosen, as many as were elected to eternal life, they believed. So who were appointed? As many as were appointed. Gentiles. Right. right. It doesn't say it the other way, right? It doesn't say, and those who believed were appointed. Right. Mm. So right. that's an ordo salutis right there. Right. There you go, yeah. Right. If yeah, it, it is it is those who were those who were appointed who believed. So believing faith is the result. Faith is the result, the fruit of your election. Um, there's another this isn't really election, but I just as we look over all of our salvation, uh, I wanted to point this out. Second Corinthians five just reading this this week, um, someone shared their testimony and they quoted verse 17. But then again, read ahead, verse 18. Um, they said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There's that regeneration mm-hmm. that we'll get to eventually. The oldest passed away, behold, the new has come. But then he goes on and says, all this is from God. He could have clearly said, you know, some of this is from you. You need to participate in a synergistic way to uh, contribute to your salvation. Now he says, all of this, this new work that is done by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to save, that's right. all of God. And, and what the word just that uh, Pilgrim just used, synergism, 
that is a word which means cooperation, that there's two parties cooperating to, to, for an end result. The opposite would be monergism, which would be one work, right? One working. And that's what, this is what we're teaching here, that election, salvation is monergistic. It's God working as one. And I'd also add there, when we're talking about synergism and monergism, cooperation or solely God, we're not talking about um, the fact that we, we don't, we don't uh, pursue things, right? We're, we're talking about the fact that in synergism, you have codependence uh, of two parties or more mm-hmm. that are working together to produce a certain result. No, in salvation, it's monergistic. God himself alone produces all these things. And yet, the evidence that God is producing it in us is that our lives are in submission to him. Mm. Amen. Amen. Here's just a couple more. Uh, Jesus in John 10, telling people why they do not believe. Um, and why is it that some people don't believe? John 10, 26. You do not believe. Why? Because you are not among my sheep. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, earlier in uh, 665. This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. Right. So the granting there... Uh, and we're going to talk more about that next week, too, in, in the effectual calling, the, the granting of faith, the granting of belief, the regeneration, conversion that happens there. Um, but here Jesus says, I have a sheep, you know, I have a, I have, I have a people. The reason you're not belo- believing is because you're not one of them, you know. And, and so, okay, who are those people? Well, he says in John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives me hmm. will come to me. Right, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So, who are the sheep? They're the ones that the Father has given them. Uh, and Jesus continues, "I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day." What we have there is the doctrine of election, that God the Father has chosen a people for his son, right? He's chosen a bride for his son. He sent his son to go redeem that bride and to, uh, and to, and to bring her into glory with them. This is the doctrine of election. So who comes? All that the Father gives. When did that happen? Before time began. And so there you go. Um, very good. There's something else I was going to say and I forget. You guys keep talking. Maybe it'll come to me. Well, I, I, just, uh, just a practical question here. Yeah. I think that might be helpful for our, for our listeners or viewers. Um, so does someone need to, um, need to ascribe to this particular view that we're articulating in order to be considered a believer? No, I think within the, within the camp, uh, you know, within the family, um, some people may land, uh, like we painted the picture earlier, some people may land differently. Um, right. But that robs you, sadly, of that, again, that assurance that, okay, if I chose God, and there's even been worship songs where, you know, I found Jesus or I, I choose him, um, well then, man, I, I'm having a slow Tuesday, a boring day, I'm going to, you know, it's all dependent upon me. And so I think, again, that, that doesn't necessitate salvation, I, w- I would argue, um, but it's certainly going to rob you of some of the joy that can be yours, the joy of assurance. Amen. I think that's a great point. And, and another reason I ask that question is because uh, I, I think within the camp, within the Reformed camp, 
there, there can be some very, um, very rigid views, and, and, and it affects the way we treat other Christians, other believers. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we want to speak truth, and we want to make sure that God's Word is, is, is being proclaimed rightly. Yeah. Um, but we also need to be careful not to condemn someone because they haven't come to this conclusion. Yeah. It is possible to trust by, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus for salvation yeah. alone. Absolutely. And, and to misunderstand how that works. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, no, this is not a matter of salvation, whether you believe in the uh, Reformed doctrine of election or the doctrines of grace or whatever. But what I would say this is that, you know, I would, I would ask more questions. Right. Um, because it could be that someone is trusting in themselves. Right more than they're trusting God who saved them. Mm-hmm. So someone could be confused about what happens behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like all they know is, I heard the gospel, I believed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I raised my hand, uh, you know, I talked to the preacher, I, 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 something happened. Um, they asked me, do you want to believe? I said, yes. So I, I know what I did, and, and they, they believed, right? Grace through faith, not of works. Yeah, that person's a Christian, that person's mm-hmm. saved. Uh, but there could be someone who's saying, no, 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 God didn't choose me. I chose God. You know what I mean? I, I saved myself when I said that prayer, when I said amen, when I walked the aisle, when I did this. Then that person could be trusting in works. So there, there could be a, a general confusion about this yeah. doctrine. Like they know what the gospel is, but they could be confused about what happened behind the scenes. That, that person is, I, I think, in Christ. But a person who is confused about how they were saved, you know what I mean, that they had a part in their salvation, I would wonder, you know, I, I would want I would, I want to ask more questions. I, I want to know, ask more questions. What is your faith ultimately in? And and having perfect doctrine doesn't take anyone to heaven, Listen, right? Right, and that's <laughs> the opposite of that problem that I was trying, trying to get to with the question yeah. as well. Because our... Our, uh, our understanding of doctrine is not what saves us. Exactly. Right? right. So we can have all the, the T's crossed and the I's dotted and, and yet be far from God. Yeah. Uh, we, we, can, we can do all the things. We can know all the words. We, can, uh, we could quote Calvin's Institutes from memory. But if we're not resting in God's grace, yeah. uh, we, we have no assurance. D.A. Carson has a, has a wonderful video. On, I'm sure you've seen it. I think he preached it at some conference. He's talking about... Uh, the Jews on the night of Passover, and he takes you know two people that are fictitious, and he says, you know Moses comes and he says Moses comes and he says to put the blood on the doorpost and and, and we're gonna leave, and the one guy says, well that doesn't make any sense, but if that's what God said, I'm going to do it, and I'll put the blood on the doorpost and 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 we'll leave when Moses tells us to leave, right, and then and and then the other person says, oh I just don't know and. Uh, uh, you know, the other, one person has, has great faith in what God says. The other person says, yeah, I don't know all about that. But okay, well, I mean, if that's what we're told to do, I, I'm not sure, but okay. So he puts his blood on the doorpost. And the question there that D.A. Carson asks is, which one was redeemed? Which one was hmm. forgiven? And the answer is both, hmm. right? Because it's not the measure of faith, the amount of faith that a person has that saves them. It is the object of their faith that mm. saves them. Amen. Right? Amen. So you have someone with great faith or little faith, but it's not the measure of faith. It's the object of that faith. Yeah. Dude, it's a great quote. Look it up on, on well, we'll YouTube. We'll put it in the show notes. 
if I remember. So, <laughs> to do that. Well, I would say to someone, if you're wrestling with the doctrine of election, and we still have to, as I started earlier, we have to square with the fact that not everyone will be saved. So how do we square with that? You know, we have to look at that and say, does the scripture speak about yeah. God's purpose in election? Does, does the scripture speak about being chosen? What is God's heart for uh, his people? And, uh, and just, you know, take it slowly, but there's some great resources. Obviously, yeah. we've got an article that Josh wrote, so we'd encourage you to um, check that out. But if you're, if you're wrestling with that, you know, pray through that, and, and there's some great resources That's out right. there. One last question, which will really transition us to the next episode as well. But does the doctrine of election mean that God brings people into heaven kicking and screaming against their will? Does the doctrine of election mean that God forces people to be saved? No. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, no, absolutely not. And that's well, whole... one thing that, that you had said everyone in hell. Uh, will no one's going to be able to say this is unjust? Um, and I believe at the at the core of the soul, what will bind everyone in hell together is I did deserve this. And I think what binds everyone together in heaven, the blood of Christ, is that we all say we we don't deserve this. And so what a what a glorious grace that He's given yeah. us that He would choose us from the foundation of the world. So those are more deeper things that we could talk about another day tune into our next episode on effectual calling we'll talk more about that because no god the grace of god effectually calls us to himself changes how we gives us the faith to believe so that those who god did choose willingly put their faith in christ as a result of god's work in them and of course that's total depravity. We didn't even talk about why do we need the doctrine of election, because no one would choose God if God hadn't chosen us. But anyway, well, guys, our time is going on here. So uh, I think that's a great way to end our episode. What do you think? Yeah. Absolutely. Or is there anything we missed or want to cover? No, I'll offer one closing thought. One right closing here. thought. Very brief, Everybody. very brief, I promise. Um, I can't remember what psalm it is, but in the psalm uh, that says that justice and mercy meet mm. uh, it, this is this is the issue here we're talking about this is all solved at the cross amen um, and and those who struggle or those who are bold in their faith we are all saved by the same blood of the same cross of our savior jesus so as we think through these things may we worship him together amen well thank you for joining us for another episode of the gospel forum podcast check us out at thegospelforum.com Leave it on his five-star review. I mean, why wouldn't you want to? I mean, come on. You could choose to do that. I know you can do it. All right. Well, anyway, uh, until next time, keep, keep on, on reforming. reforming.